Well, good morning, Waikai Church. Uh, I had the opportunity to come to VBS. I think it was, I believe it was on the last night. And it was incredible uh, just to see about over 100 kids. And I was talking to Pastor Dan, and he was telling me about more than half of them uh, don't even come out to church. And they're just simply from the neighborhood. And just to encourage you, uh, at Pillar Baptist Church, whenever someone wants to become a member, they have a sit-down interview with all the elders. And we ask them to preach the gospel to us in two minutes. I know it's kind of daunting, but we also ask for their testimony. And I can't tell you how many times that I've heard from folks who are members in our church in that interview tell me, when we ask them, when did you first hear the gospel? They'll say, when I was six or when I was seven at a VBS. I grew up in a home where my parents were not Christian. I was invited to come to a VBS and I heard the gospel. And we'll ask them, when did that gospel become clear to you? And then they'll say, you know, maybe in junior high or in high school, but I'm so glad that that person, that kid took me to VBS. And so... Hawaii Church, be absolutely encouraged for the work that you did for this past week for the Lord. It, it will bear much fruit, and so thankful to God, and it was just such an encouragement for uh, my wife and I to watch on that last night. I always, whenever we come to Hawaii, we always come during the time of VBS. I always ask my kids, do you want to go to VBS? No. I'm like, uh, you know, <laughs> um, but they enjoyed coming and hanging out with all the kids. Well, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Numbers, and that to Numbers chapter 22. Last week, we went over Numbers chapter 21, and it's my goal this morning to preach from Numbers chapter 22. And I hope you have your Bibles. It's going to be Bible intense. But before we get into it, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we pray that your word would be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, and that to show us Christ. Would we seek to know him and love him more in the preaching of your word, we pray. Amen. Numbers chapter 22 is an unusual narrative. It's an unusual narrative because it doesn't necessarily revolve around Moses or the people of Israel but rather a prophet by the name of Balaam, a Moabite king named Balak, and a talking donkey. And that's probably what makes this story unusual. We have a talking donkey in the story. And it's really the only time in all the Bible that an animal speaks other than, you'll remember in Genesis, the serpent in the garden. And so what we have in Numbers chapter 22 is an unusual story. We also have what appears on the surface, a confusing one. It's because a quick superficial read of the story will leave a person scratching his or her head as to whether Balaam, the prophet, is a hero, is the hero or the villain in the story. Was he a prophet of God or was he a false one? Was he a sinner or a saint? And so those are some questions that come to mind at first glance, but we'll find more clarity once we focus the lenses to the story. Now, there are three movements here in Numbers chapter 22, which I've titled to help you uh, outline and hang your thoughts on this chapter is, I've titled these movements, The Dilemma, The Deal, and The Donkey. You can't forget about The Donkey. 
which will help us navigate through the narrative, the dilemma, the deal, and the donkey. Well, the story in Numbers chapter 22 begins with the dilemma, with Balak, king of Moab, looking across his border in fear because of what he sees on the other side. He notices that the people of Israel have settled in the plains of Moab as his new neighbors. Look with me in chapter 22, verse 1. Then the people of Israel set out and camped in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan at Jericho. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. Now, there was a reason for Balak to be afraid because notice what Israel had just done prior to Numbers chapter 22. Well, following the episode with the fiery serpents and the lifting up of the bronze serpent, Israel, they continued their advance into the promised land. And so by the end of Numbers chapter 21, they defeated King Sihon and the Amorites and King Og of Bashan. And so Israel, you could say, was on a two-game winning streak, and they were obliterating those in their path. Now imagine Balak, the king of Moab, looking through his binoculars, knowing all that had taken place with this Jewish army now camped just opposite of him. Balak was scared, and so were his people. Look with me in verse 3. And Moab was in great dread of the people, because there they were many. Moab was overcome with fear of the people of Israel. And Moab said to the elders of Midian, This horde will now lick up all that is around us as the ox licks up the grass of the field. And so Balak and the Moabites, they realized that they didn't have a chance. That the percentage of coming out of this alive was almost zero. So what were they going to do? They saw that Israel's number outweighed theirs. They saw the dead Amorites on the ground. There was no prospect of victory if they went into a conventional battle with Israel. And so they decided, they decided that they needed a special weapon. A weapon, if you can say, of mass destruction. The Moabites, they needed a supernatural weapon if they were going to win this war. Well, what was this weapon? The weapon was a curse. The weapon was a curse, a curse from the gods that would give them the edge over Israel so that they would win the battle. And it was in search of this curse that Balak went looking for Balaam. Look with me in chapter 22, verse 4, in the middle of verse 4. So Balak, the son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at that time, he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor at Pether which is near the river in the land of the people of Ammon, to call him, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the earth, and they are dwelling opposite me. Come now, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. Now, I want you to notice something here. That of all the people, of all the resources, of all the prophets that Balak, the king of Moab, could turn to, he turned to Balaam, the prophet. That tells us something about him. Balaam had a reputation. 
Balaam had five Yelp stars, if you want to say that, as a prophet. Balaam was the prophet to turn to in dealing with such a curse. And I want you to notice Balak's reason for turning to Balaam here at the end of verse 6. He says, For I know, I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. In other words, there's a 100% money back guarantee. Balaam was a man with international fame. But to hire a man of his standing, it will cost you, right? Which is why Balak made sure to send his people with cash in hand. And it's here in the story that the dilemma now shifts to the deal. Look at verse verse 7. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the fees for divination in their hand. And they came to Balaam and gave him Balak's message. And he said to them, lodge here tonight and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. And so with money in his hand, this embassy of Moabites, they relay the king's message. And here's how Balaam responds. He tells them to relax, spend the night. This is what you do when you have five Yelp stars. Just relax because the answer, the answer depends on another. And he tells them, I need to check with the Lord and I need, to say, I need to see what the Lord says to me. Now at this point, we might think, think to ourselves this. It appears that Balaam is a God-fearer. He is humbly submitting himself to God. And notice the name that he uses to refer to God. He uses the intimate and covenant name of God, Yahweh, Indicated in our text with the all capital letters, Lord, L-O-R-D. But take a closer look. That while the people of God are camped inside the plains of Moab. Notice that Balaam is situated outside. If you look back at verse 5 here in this chapter, we're told that Balaam was at Pether, which is near the river. And so Balaam was not a prophet who resided among the people of God, but he was an outsider. In other words, Balaam was a pagan prophet. Well, here's a question that you might be asking. How is it then that this pagan prophet speaks to God and that God speaks to him? And here's the answer, and it's a very deep one. I don't know. I don't know, but we shouldn't be surprised. Rather, we shouldn't be impressed because if you know the story, God speaks through a donkey, right? And so it doesn't say much that he speaks through a pagan prophet named Balaam. But you'll notice Balaam, he tells the Moabites, spend the night while he takes the matter up to God to see if this is possible, if he can curse the people of God. Look with me in verse 9. And God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? The Lord appeared to Balaam in the night and he asked one question, Who are these men with you? Now why, why did the Lord ask this question? Did he who is omniscient not know who these men were? He certainly didn't need the information. But as students of the Bible, we know that God often asks questions, doesn't he? 
not for the benefit of himself, but rather for the benefit of his hearer. When he asked Adam in the garden, where are you? He was giving him an opportunity to confess his sins. When he asked Isaiah, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? He was giving Isaiah the opportunity to volunteer for the mission. So when the Lord asked Balaam, who are these men? He wasn't searching for the identity of the men. But he was giving Balaam the opportunity to say to God what he truly desired. Well, what did he truly desire? Well, let's keep following the story as Balaam responds in verse 10. And Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent to me, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt, and it covers the face of the earth. Now come, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to fight against them and drive them out. God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. Well, notice when Balaam takes the request to God, He leaves a very important detail out, that there is a payment involved, that he's about to be handsomely paid for his services. You know, one of the telling signs that a person is up to no good is when details are left out, right? You know, there have been a few occasions for myself at night when I'll take the car keys and I'll be on my way out of the house and my wife, Deb, will ask me, where are you going? And I'll say, out. Out where? Somewhere. Where is that somewhere? And there's no way around it. And I'll have to come clean. I'll tell her, I'm going to McDonald's, okay? I'm going to McDonald's. I'm really hungry and I want to eat McDonald's. Well, why didn't you just say it? It's because I'm ashamed. (laughs) Because I go all the time. You see, leaving out the details says something, and it said something about Balaam. Well, God tells Balaam, you can't go. You can't go with them because you can't curse them. Those are my people, and they are blessed. The answer is no, Balaam. Look with me in verse 13. So Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, Go to your own land, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. So the princes of Moab rose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. Now you can just hear it in Balaam's voice. You can hear it loudly from the sounds of silence from Balaam. He tells the men, go to your land because the Lord has refused to let me go with you. Notice there is no mention of the real reason why God had told them he could not go. The Lord said, you shall not curse them, Balaam, because they are my people. They're blessed. I love them. I have made a covenant with them. I'm their God and they are my people. Yet Balaam doesn't say any of that. And he also doesn't show any hesitation or reluctance to fulfill their request. What do I mean? You see, for Balaam, he would very much like to go but is forbidden to go, right? If you have kids, I don't let my kids play unless they finish their dinner. And if their friends are over at my house, my, my kids' friends will say to my daughters, hey, come play. I can't. My dad won't let me go. She would very much like to go, but is being held against her will. 
And this is Balaam's thought right here. Now you see there is something that is taking place in the chambers of Balaam's heart. A tension taking place in the inside. The demands of Balak and his reward on the one hand and the commands of God on the other. Well, that tension only gets bigger because what does a king do when his initial offer is rejected? You come with a higher offer. And so the king of Moab, he comes with a more enticing offer and with a more esteemed group. Look at verse 15. Once again, Balak sent princes more in number and more honorable than these. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, Let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will surely do you great honor, and whatever you say to me, I will do. Come, curse this people for me. But Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the command of the Lord my God to do less or more. So you too, please stay here tonight, that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. Now on the face of it, Balaam appears to be yielding to God. Even if the king gives me a house full of silver and gold, I have no power to do anything apart from the Lord my God. That sounds like a very mature Christian to me, right? Well, the question is, has he changed his ways? Has he finally submitted his will to God? Well, if you take a closer look, again, it's just the opposite. It's because what does he tell the king's men? Notice at the end of verse 19, he says this. Stay the night and let me see what I can do. He invites the men to stay the night. And that tells us that Balaam's heart was gravitating towards the bounty. That's what he really wanted at the end of the day. You see, for all his wonderful words, Balaam couldn't let the prospect of losing the king's gold. Look at verse 20. And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men have come to call you, rise, go with them. But only do what I tell you. Now, what is taking place here? Is God changing his mind and telling Balaam to go? Did God finally succumb to Balaam? Well, if you have an NIV Bible, it says here, Since these men have come to summon you, go with them. But the NASB, if you have an NASB or an ESV translation, which I have, it gives us a better translation. And it says, If the men have come to call you, rise, go with them. Well, what's the difference between since the men have come and if the men have come? What's the difference? Notice that God is not directly commanding Balaam to go to Moab with the men. Rather, he gives a condition. If these men have come to call you. If. The focus is on these men. And it was the same question that God had asked Balaam before. Who are these men? In other words, what authority, what influence, what control do these men and what they have in their hands have on you? What God is saying to Balaam here is if the summons of men and the glory of their reward is really that important to you, 
So important that it outweighs the command of God, then you may go with them. You see, Balaam had a decision to make. Go with the men and follow the idols of his heart or stay home with the Lord. Well, what does he do? Verse 21. So Balaam rose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the princes of Moab. His sight is set on the monetary reward. And we're told in the very next verse, in verse 22, but God's anger was kindled because he went. You know, when we take a step back and we analyze the narrative, the deal is not so much a deal to get Balaam to curse Israel, but a deal to get Balaam's heart. And here's the thing, beloved. Those deals take place multiple times a day in the chambers of our own hearts. You see, you have to ask the question, what in your life has a stronger gravitational pull than Jesus Christ? You see, the challenge that this story puts before us is this. Who or what is taking possession of your soul? Faced with a choice between obeying the command of God and pursuing the king's silver and gold, the lucre triumphed in Balaam's heart. And I want you to notice how it did. It was by slow influence. It was by steady sway. Notice how many times did Balaam ask the king's men, stay the night, stay the night, stay the night. Are we so different than Balaam? You see, Christian believer, there is a war that is raging within the inner recesses of your soul. The Puritan John Owen, he said it in very gripping words. He said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. There is a competition taking place in your heart. And the question is, who's winning? What is slowly and gradually, steadily pulling you and bringing you under its influence? And you see, Christian, what is not helping you spiritually is harming you. You know, if we really want to know what possesses us, the barometer is in our actions more so than our words. You see, just as Balaam's attempt to get a different response out of God exposed his divided heart and betrayed the emptiness of his words, so too our words and actions are often at odds, aren't they? Because we can piously commit to the Lord on the Lord's day by mouth before a certain group of people on certain days of the week, but then on other days of the week, our actions can reveal an altogether different master. You see, our actions make plain what else we must have apart from the Lord to make our lives feel meaningful and significant. And beloved, that's what's called an idol. John Calvin, the reformer, said every one of us, even from his mother's womb, is a master craftsman of idols. And Calvin was able to say that because he knew his own heart. And it's for the idol of his heart that Balaam departed with the Moabite men as we move now to the last segment of the story, the donkey. Follow along as I read from verse 22 all the way to verse 35. 
This is a remarkable story. Follow along in your Bibles. But God's anger was kindled because he went, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as his adversary. Now he was riding on the donkey, and his two servants were with him. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the road and went into the field. And Balaam struck the donkey to turn her into the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled, and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. And she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have made a fool of me. I wish I had a sword in my hand, for then I would kill you. And the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey, on which you have ridden all your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? And he said, No. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And he bowed down and fell on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to oppose you because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside before me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely just now I would have killed you and let her live. Verse 34. Then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. For I did not know that you stood in the road against me. Now, therefore, if it is evil in your sight, I will turn back. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but speak only the word that I tell you. So Balaam went on with the princes of Balak. It is an amazing story. It's an amazing story because Balaam, he has this full-out conversation with his donkey. Three times the donkey stops as it sees the angel of the Lord. And three times Balaam strikes his donkey, failing to see what's before him. Until God speaks to him from the donkey's mouth, telling him of the error of his ways. Now there are a few things I want to point out to you here. And the first is this. What's stressed to us in this episode is the blindness of Balaam. Now think about who Balaam was. He was a professional prophet. He made his living discerning messages from God that others were not able to hear and see. Yet here he is, unable to see the angel of the Lord standing in plain sight right in front of him. Here is the renowned prophet that cannot see what the donkey, the dumb animal, can clearly see. Why was this the case? is because it was due to his divided heart that he wasn't able to see the messenger of God before him. Now, church, what does that teach us? It's that a heart divided, a heart filled with sin and worldliness, an idolatrous heart cannot see. 
that it lacks the ability to see God with any clarity. Why should I, as a Christian, be afraid of any idol or influence in my life apart from God? Is because you see it will hinder and distort my vision of him. What did Jesus say to his disciples on the mount? He said, blessed are the pure in heart. Well, why are the pure in heart blessed? For they shall see God. You see that? And that has significant implications for us in the church because, you see, Christian, there will be times in our lives when our vision will be blurred. And we may think we know what's best for us, when in reality, it will only be to our harm. And this is why we need brothers and sisters to come alongside of us, to exhort us and admonish us and even rebuke us, to hold us accountable, to point out the inconsistencies of what we profess and how we live. And this is why the church is so important. This is why we need brothers and sisters in our lives. So in my blindness, I need others in my life who can see. Secondly, I want you to notice that Balaam was a hired prophet who was asked to curse an entire nation with merely his words, yet he couldn't even curse his donkey. He was far from being a weapon of mass destruction. Rather, he was a mass embarrassment. His mission was to bring down all of Israel with a curse. Yet he was so powerless, so impotent, that his little donkey made a fool out of him. He was reduced to beating the animal, shouting empty threats at it. And you can just see the humor in the story. And I think it teaches us this valuable lesson. That the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. Amen. Isn't it interesting that out of the mouth of a renowned prophet came forth lies while the donkey spoke truth? And you see what Paul said in 1 Corinthians hasn't changed. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You see, the world believes to be wise just like Balaam. But at the end of the day, it is no wiser than a donkey. And so therefore, for us as Christians, we must not live our lives either according to the standards of the world nor to please the world. You know, I think the, the picture that really grabs our attention is that here was Balaam wishing he had a sword in his hand. Remember that in the story? Wishing that he had a sword in his hand to slaughter the donkey. All the while, the angel of the Lord stood right in front of him with a sword in hand to destroy him. The last thing that I want to point out here, and we'll close with this, is this. If we take a step back from Numbers chapter 22, I want you to realize that Israel has been mentioned in the story but they are absent from the story. Did you notice that? Notice there's nothing here about Moses or Israel or they're wandering in the wilderness. Israel, they have no active role in this story. 
In other words, when Numbers 22 is taking place in real time, Israel, they have no idea because this story is taking place across the river. They're oblivious to Balaam and this king's request to curse them. They're on the other side with not the slightest clue. And so I ask myself, why did God then tell Moses to write this story into the book of Numbers? Think about that. Why do they need to know this story? Why does Israel need to know this story about a pagan prophet, a Moabite king, and a conversation that this prophet had with his talking donkey? To show them that no matter how much the opposition wanted to curse them, that the Lord their God kept his promise to bless them. That he would never forsake his promise to them. What did God tell Abraham and his descendants? I will bless you. I will make your name great and I will bless you. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse it was God keeping his promise to his people by shielding them from any curse that could befall them. And you see, we as Christians, we know what it's like to be shielded from a curse. A curse for which we justly deserve the curse of sin. Yet thanks be to God for the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, for there God gave us the unshakable promise to bless us, to bless those who trust in him. For on the cross, he, he gave his son. And it says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. As it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Well, why was Jesus cursed? And here's the answer. So that you would be blessed. If you're here this morning, if you're not a Christian, what you need more than anything else is to be shielded from the curse, from the curse of your sin. Come to Jesus Christ. Look to him, trust in him that you may in turn be blessed. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we know that looking into your word is like looking into a mirror. That even in a story about a pagan prophet and a pagan king and a talking donkey. You reveal to us the condition of our hearts. We confess that we often run idle factories in them. And we ask that you would forgive us and cause us to seek our refuge and our shield in Jesus Christ. Psalm 146 tells us not to put our trust in princes nor in men in whom there is no salvation. Our trust is in you. We believe, but help our unbelief. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.